0: All right, so like I said, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 6, if you want to turn over there. Last week, uh, recap, we looked at chapters 4 and 5, which is the throne room scene. Uh, This is kind of the big picture of what's happening in heaven. It's sort of setting the tone. That's where the story, in a sense, starts, Uh, and there was this big question of who can open this scroll that God has, and the scroll, I think, uh, it represents the divine plan or God's future somehow, um, some way, it's it's sort of what's going to happen. Even though, uh, as I've argued before and will continue to argue, it's not saying here's a list of sequential events that'll happen, so you know when Jesus is about to come back. Um, but it's more, as we'll see, about what what goes on in in the world. Uh, the big image that we saw there is that Jesus is depicted as slaughtered lamb, okay? and that's. That's the consistent way that Jesus is, is described throughout the rest of Revelation. Right? We saw how he was described. Someone said, mentioned a lion, but then we see a lamb. Right? And so that's how he is depicted. He's not what we maybe expect sometimes. And so now we're getting into this cycle of, of sevens. So if you look at that second hand out there uh, where it... Um, lays these out. This is really chapter 6 through 11 and then chapter 16 to 18. You've got the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls. Um, so if you look at that, you can kind of see some patterns, uh, you know, things that get repeated like uh, water turning to blood, that sort of thing. For two of them, you get this break between six and seven. Um, and you know in some ways they're repeating the same sort of thing, in some ways they're different. Um, the pattern we see though is that you get you know six of something, and then the seventh will contain the next seven, right? So you get the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets, and when the seventh trumpet is blown, then you get the seven bowls. So it's almost kind of like nesting dolls, right? You know, those Russian dolls, uh, where it's just kind of building inside. Um, Again, like I said, we don't need to assume that these are chronological. That's a very much a Western modern way of reading something like this, because the way we write and understand stories is that order creates meaning. So when you know the order in which things happened chronologically, sequentially, that kind of gives them meaning. But that's not really the assumption they would have had in a non-Western culture, um, even today uh, and back then as well. And when you're looking at something like apocalyptic literature, which is already pretty bizarre, uh, that's even more the case. <clears throat> so again, it's it's more about revealing a repeated pattern than it is just saying, you know, watch for this horseman or that horseman or this specific thing. It's really about don't miss the forest for the trees. We will talk about some of the different symbols, but we don't get locked in too much onto what is this one's specific symbol mean, but look at the big picture of when you, when you look at them together, what seems to be, uh, what, what's trying to be said there, what's being communicated. Um, as I said, this, the idea of the seals on the scroll, the seal is what, um, you know, it, it was a sign of authorship or ownership, and it was also a sign of protection, right? You couldn't open a scroll unless you broke those seals. And so this is the idea, as these six, seven seals are being broken, it's kind of opening up. God's purposes, God's plan. Um, and so the way I understand it is these are the things that happen through the unfolding of history. Um, again, it's it's a, a pattern. right? They're, they're symbolic, so what does this symbol point to? What is this horseman, as we'll see in the, this chapter? What's the, the image that's really being communicated here? Uh, there is some idea of judgment in this, uh, that word will come up specifically, towards the end of the chapter. And I think it's important to to think about the distinction between judgment and sentence, right? If you're thinking in terms of of court or legal things. Oh, somebody have a question before I get into that? All right, Uh, so judgment and sentence, right? Judgment is declaring who's in the right, who's in the wrong, uh, or saying the truth of what happened. The sentence is then The consequences of those choices either punishment or reward and so they're usually tied right the the judgment and the sentence but sometimes I've noticed this we'll use the word judgment to kind of mean both that judgment means punishment Um, it's connected to it if that happens but judgment is really about God or Jesus saying here's here's what's right here's what's wrong right it's establishing justice that's why judgment is a good thing even though it's not something we tend to look forward to. If it's about God saying, here's what's right, um, that's a good thing. And judgment is a means to an end. It's not just for its own sake. It's working towards the final uh, making all things right, making all things new, um, the, the new heavens, the new earth, the restoration of all things, you know, language that we find in Revelation. So that's where it's all pointing. But again, through all of this, uh, you know, we're, we're thinking now about the next several chapters We still want to hold on to that vision from chapter four and five about God as the one on the throne and the slaughtered lamb. Um, And so if if that's who Christ truly is, if he's the one who shows us where history is going, um, we can't expect that it's going to be in conflict with that or uh, contradict who Jesus is. All right. So that was a lot upfront kind of stuff. Uh, Any questions about that? Um, Thoughts about how how we understand all these images and bizarre symbols. All right, well, let's let's get to it. I'll read uh, verses one through eight, the four horsemen. Then I saw the lamb open one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures call out as with a voice of thunder, come. I looked and there was a white horse. Its rider had a bow, a crown was given to him and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that the people would slaughter one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature call out, come. I looked, and there was a black horse. Its rider held a pair of scales in its hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's pay and three quarts of barley for a day's pay, but do not damage the olive oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature call out, come, and I looked and there was a pale green horse. Its rider's name was Death and Hades followed with him. They were given authority over the fourth a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine and pestilence by the wild animals of the earth. All very self-explanatory, I'm sure. Okay, so, mm-hmm. um, we're thinking here, uh, I think about this big picture of what are the consequences of human rebellion against God? Um, and you know, the wrath of God is probably a term that, that comes to mind with a lot of this. Uh, but what I see most clearly through scripture is that divine punishment is best seen as the sin's natural consequences. Uh, I tend to go to Romans chapter one, where Paul talks about God giving us up to what we want or what we think we want. And then we kind of re- we reap what we sow, right? That's also a biblical image. And so that's the wrath of God is less God getting mad at something we did and then giving this punishment. It's we're wanting something that's self-destructive and God says, you know what? Enjoy that and, and see what happens. Um, and so it, it, it is from God and it is from us. It's kind of both and in that case, you know that when it says come or, um, it was given to let them go. It's it's what's sometimes called a divine passive, right? It was permitted, so it's not. It's more that God is letting it happen more than God directly saying, "I want death to go out and do all these things." Um, and it, but it doesn't call it judgment here. We see that with the fifth seal, um, and so that's that's coming a little bit later, right? Judgment is still coming. We're going to see the martyrs asking for that. And again, if you know two of these horsemen are seem to be referring to war and death. When has there not been war and death? Again, this is, this is what leads me to read this as these are the things that are constantly happening to humanity um, because of our, our rebellion. Uh, there are always wars and rumors of wars. So it's hard to take that as a sign of the end times because we're always in that in some sense, somewhere around the world. And so we get these four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's a very common image, um, you know, often depicted as literal horsemen in different ways. Uh, it's actually based on Zechariah, uh, chapters one and chapter six of that, that prophetic book. As I've said before many times, uh, John is usually just picking up images from the Old Testament uh, without citing his sources. Uh, so that's, that's where that comes from. And so the first horseman, uh, it seems to be related to the idea of conquest. Right, the the crown that he wears is this crown of victory, the the Stephanos. We mentioned the different types of crowns last week. Um, and it could be an allusion actually to the Parthians, uh, who were famed uh, horseback archers, and they were rivals of the Roman Empire. It, Rome had actually never defeated them, and so that since again these are being written to Christians who are in the Roman Empire, there's a good ca- uh, case to be made that they would know what this would be referring to. And and that's kind of a reference that maybe wouldn't make as much sense to us immediately. Uh, But again, it's kind of showing Rome is, there's some people that Rome couldn't defeat, right? They're not invincible like they want to think they are. Uh, The second horseman uh, seems to be killing uh, related to war. Uh, So again, it's very similar images. And like I said, there's kind of always some sort of war going on around the world. Uh, So this is a common occurrence. The third horseman uh, tends to be uh, identified with famine, uh, although it's not as clear. It, it does mention that uh, later on in, in verse eight when we're talking about the fourth horseman. Um, kind of Along with that, there is a sort of food scarcity idea, but what is actually mentioned there with the third horseman, to me, it seems more like economic injustice uh, with the food scarcity. It's people taking advantage of the fact that there's not enough food. And so that's when it says, you know, a quart of wheat for a day's pay. It's like saying $80 for a pound of flour, right? That's just ridiculous. And, um, but we have seen through history, right? There've been times when uh, people take advantage of these situations and uh, prices get inflated to where people can't afford to eat anymore. I think that's really what it's looking at here. Uh, and, you know, you notice that it's um, barley and wheat, There's there, there's these exorbitant prices for that, but it says, don't, don't mess with the oil and the wine, right? So the bread, the food of the poor, that they're extorting people over, but the wine and olive oil, which are luxuries, uh, those are the same. They don't want people messing with that. So again, I think we're seeing this is the pattern of how uh, in these times of unrest, uh, it's the poor people who don't have access to these sort of things. And then finally, the fourth horseman, death. Um, who was also with Hades, those two are linked together. Hades is in the Greek mindset, the, the place of the dead. He was also a, a Greek God uh, that resided there. Um, and in, in a sense, it's bringing together all of the horsemen. You know, like if, <laughs> in my generation, we had the Power Rangers where they would link up all their different uh, robots to make the super robot. That's kind of what death is doing, right? He's taking together war and famine and pestilence uh, death kind of links all of that, right? They all eventually are pointing towards death. Death is the big enemy that uh, is behind all of our, and so here it's kind of representing all the ways we suffer from the brokenness of creation, right? By our allegiance to Babylon, as he's gonna call it soon. So those are the four horsemen. And and again, these are the things that are happening throughout history uh, as a result of human rebellion against the way of God. Any questions about that thing that stood out to you? Say, Chris, uh, just to note that that first horseman, that's that's usually that's a different interpretation than I've usually heard. I've usually, Since there's a redundancy mm-hmm. there with the second horseman, I've always re- heard that referred to as perhaps referring to the, the Holy Spirit or the gospel of Christ going out into mm-hmm. the world. It's given authority to conquer in some way. And there's not really a negative connotation given with it as there is with the other horsemen. Yeah, uh, that's true. It, it, that, that one is a little more vague. So that's a good point, right? This is the nature of symbols is it's not easy to say, well, here's the exact thing that this means. And so, yeah, I, uh, I'm always giving you you know, a take on it. Um, yeah, because we'll see Christ come in Revelation 19 on a white horse. And this is something we've seen already through this when it talks about conquering or victory in what sense, right? It it is described in the last chapter how the lamb conquers, um, not in the same way as, you know, Rome does. And yet uh, it's still Christ winning a victory. So, yeah, that that could be right. You make a good point that it's not seen uh, in a negative way, the same way the others are. Right. Those are pretty clearly it's it's slaughtering. It's it's uh, food shortage. It's death. So, yeah, it could be. I think, you know, we're so again, because of our cultural knowledge of the four horsemen of the apocalypse we just assume well they're all bad guys or in some way Uh, but yeah it could be so yeah that's a good point thanks Stephen. all right well let's go to the the next seal verses 9 to 11 when he opened the fifth seal i saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slaughtered for the word of god and for the testimony they had given they cried out with a loud voice sovereign lord holy and true how long will it be before you judge and avenge our blood on the inhabitants of the earth? They were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number would be complete, both of their fellow servants and of their brothers and sisters who were soon to be killed as they themselves had been killed. So here we have the martyrs before the throne. And their question to God is, how long? Now, that's a very common question. You go read the, the lament songs, uh, some of the prophets. This language comes up over and over again. Um, but this this type of limit, is, uh, as I've argued before, it's it's not as common, at least especially in like our public prayers. Right. So, do we feel justified in asking God that question? How long, Lord, before you do something, whatever it is? Is that part of your prayers? Very often. I know it is for mine. Um, and I think why it's, you know, again, we see it throughout scripture. So it is a biblical question to ask God. It, it does come from a pl- place of faith because it's not questioning whether God will act. It's asking, when will God act? It, it is a show of faith or trust that, God, I know you're going to make things right. Uh, but I, I wish I knew when that would happen. How long am I going to have to endure what I'm going through? Uh, I mean, this this year, I think, is definitely a a time of asking, how long? Um, and so far, the answer has been a little while longer, just like, like he says here. Um, and, you know, though it's symbolic, uh, I think there's a way you can read this of evidence of a sort of intermediate state. This is something we, I talked about in one of my previous classes that when we're talking about uh, the afterlife. Uh, here we have the, their souls in heaven but they're still waiting for something, right? They're still waiting for the final restoration and judgment, uh, the resurrection, right? The resurrection hasn't happened yet in this kind of storyline. And so that's where Revelation will get to at the end with the new heavens and the new earth. And so this could be a way of understanding where, where are the dead in Christ now, uh, that they're, they're before God's throne. And again, the word soul through scripture, Often, I would say more often refers to kind of the whole being, body and spirit, but sometimes it is used like this the sense of this immaterial or invisible uh, kind of self. Uh, and so th- they're told, these martyrs are told to wait a little bit longer, but they're clothed with uh, a white robe as uh, for uh, in honor of their sacrifice, right? They're given a sign of honor after they've suffered the shame of execution. It's, it's God kind of saying, no, you are blessed. Even though this happened to you, uh, you're, you're being honored by me, despite the dishonor you faced in life. Uh, they're faithful witnesses. Uh, the word uh, witness in Greek is martyr. And so our idea of being a martyr comes from these early believers um, being a witness to the point of death. They were slaughtered just like the lamb. right? They're imitating Christ, and that's why they receive honor. And yet, uh, why wait, right? Why didn't God just do something now? Uh, and, I, and I don't have a perfect answer to that, but I did have a quote here that I think is, is helpful um, from one commentator. He says, within the divine plan, the suffering that results from faithful witness is a primary means by which God challenges the kingdoms of the world with a different kind of power and a different conception of victory, All right? So every time that someone suffers for for doing what God calls them to do in in spite of what they might suffer because of it, that's challenging the way the kingdoms of the world work and saying, no, there is another power at work and you can't just kill everyone that you don't like and expect that that's gonna silence everything. Um, Because as we know, the early church uh, survived and even thrived in the face of persecution. Um, And so when Christians were willing to um, submit to a different Lord, to claim a different sort of power, a different conception of victory, uh, that speaks a a powerful witness. Um, And so that's still doing something, even though uh, we're waiting for God to finally make things right. And even as we don't know when that might happen. Um, So the tools of the empire, killing, violence, all these things, it doesn't stop the gospel. All right, anything else about the martyrs that you notice wanna ask about? All right, let's move to the the final seal in this chapter, uh, starting in verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and there came a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll rolling itself up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the magnets and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hidden the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand so this is kind of pointing to something big coming rather than it just being uh, (coughs) six out of seven right so we know we're getting close to the end And so here we're finding very common apocalyptic language, uh, often referring to the day of the Lord. Um, But uh, what we see throughout scripture as the day of the Lord is talked about over and over is that the day of the Lord isn't necessarily a single calendar day that's going to happen sometime, but it's a way of talking about any time that God does something, in our language, that's earth-shattering, right? When God does something big, and, and powerful, and it changes uh, the way the world works. Uh, so an example of this that uh, I think we would all be pretty familiar with and that uses some very similar language is in Acts chapter 2, if you want to flip back over there. Um, we all know the, the scene, right, the, the day of Pentecost. Um, the uh, disciples are together. The Holy Spirit comes, and Peter gets up to address the crowd, and he starts out his, uh, his sermon here by quoting the prophet Joel. So in Acts 2, Peter is quoting Joel chapter 2. And so if you look at this, uh, first, you can just look for things that sound similar to what we heard here. and uh, But then think about what actually happened. So in Acts 2 verse 17, in the last days, it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to black darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, i mean i could have probably should have asked this before i read that but when you think of the day of, of pentecost what what happens what's the big event the holy spirit right the, the tongues of fire uh, all these different languages uh, and the spirit is poured out on them and and all who come to be saved through baptism uh but then you know, you see that that prophecy though that wo- those words from joel right that's where peter's mind goes is to mention this. And what does he talk about? He does talk about the spirit being poured out on everyone. It's not limited to uh, prophets or a select few anymore, but everyone will have access to the spirit. But then he also starts talking about things like fire and smoke and the sun being darkened and the moon turning to blood. Did all those things literally happen on the day of Pentecost? It doesn't seem like it, right? Uh, at least it's not recorded in Acts that the, the, the moon turned red into blood. Uh, instead, we see the coming of the Spirit and the opportunity for salvation. Um, and so Pentecost was the day of the Lord. And so what we're seeing there, uh, just like I think we're seeing in Revelation, is that that language of the moon turning to blood and um, you know, the sun turning dark, that's, those are metaphors for just saying God is doing something big. And, and we, we do this too, right? If we talked about uh, an earth shattering landslide victory, uh, we would know what that means. But if someone didn't know English or was hearing us say that, you know, 2000 years later, they might think that we thought the world actually did shatter and that there actually was some, you know, big landslide. right? so I don't, the point is to not read these common metaphors they all understood as saying something they're not saying. Um, the end of the world, uh, biblically speaking, is really about the end of, uh, of systems that are opposed to the creator, uh, systems that, that um, bring people down and create um, injustice that God is, is trying to work against. So it's a good thing for that to end, right? It's not talking about the destruction of all, all things. Uh, it's about God making things right. And so that's what it's pointing to here. And then finally, you know, as it, it mentions, all these people that are seeing this, um, most of them, so this is something we'll see throughout this, the kings of the earth tend to represent the forces that are opposed to God and to the Lamb. And so when they are seeing all these events happening, they start to freak out a little bit. They get scared, and they actually want the rocks to kill them before God does something. And to me, it's kind of funny, right, that they mention, who's going to save us from the wrath of the little Lamb? Right, the word that's used for lamb there is is talking about like a little baby lamb, uh, referring to Christ. Um, this is their expectation, right, of these rich and powerful people. Um, the question is rhetorical. And so we have to ask, how is Revelation going to answer that, that question? And to me, it's it's kind of funny, right? It's almost an oxymoron. The wrath of the little baby lamb. Um, again, just, just picture that in your mind. And uh, I think that could be a clue as to... Maybe their expectation for what's going to happen is uh, not fully understanding who God is, who Christ is. Right? That's the whole problem with the kings of the earth, the, these powerful people. They don't understand the kind of power that Christ has, uh, the power that comes through self-sacrifice. They only understand their type of power. And so they expect that God is going to use that same thing against them. And in some ways, that that is the case, but in some ways, maybe it's not. Um, So whatever this wrath of the lamb is, remember that this is coming from the one who prayed for our forgiveness from the cross as he was experiencing our wrath against him. And so uh, one of my big things is always we want to think of Christ as consistent. And if we see Christ revealed most clearly, God revealed most clearly through the cross, then it should always be consistent with that. And that's the ongoing question, right? Are these kings of the earth right? to expect this kind of wrath, and it'd be better for them to be crushed by a mountain than experience it, or is God doing something more than that? Uh, What is judgment gonna look like? Um, Yeah, to me, it points to the idea that our expectation of judgment, the world's expectation of what judgment should be, um, maybe we don't always understand it fully, um, but we trust that judgment is about justice, and so it is a good thing. It's something we can look forward to. All right, any uh, thoughts on that? Uh, other things that you notice? Hey, Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get in on the first
1: session, but what do you feel is the time frame that Revelation was written in? Uh,
0: I think uh, probably in the 90s. Um, well, uh, and that's
1: a general thing, but there's also a chain of thought that it was written prior to AD 70. Yeah. So this could be a lot of this end of the world could be the
0: destruction of Jerusalem. Right. Yeah. Cause again, to, to Jewish Christians, which it seems like that's who John is and maybe a lot of his audience, that would be like the end of the world to them uh, yeah. for Jerusalem right. to be destroyed, to lose the temple. And so, yeah, either if it's not written before uh, that destruction, it's probably has that in mind very much. So. And
1: I, and,
0: you know, I don't know which is right, but I, I used
1: to be 90 and then a, that I had a lot of respect for. Figured it was probably prior to eighty-seven.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's that's one of those things that you know all the commentators they have their guesses and their you know their evidence for those guesses, but we don't know for sure. They don't date their work, unfortunately. The, either,
1: depending on which it is, could make a difference of what it's actually talking
0: about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. So it's it's helpful to try and have an idea, but you know we're always we're always kind of guessing. But uh, yeah, that destruction is they're gonna see that as whether it hadn't happened yet or it had recently happened, that's still gonna be a significant event in their their mindset. So yeah, thanks. All right, anything else before we, before we wrap up? All right, well, thank you all for being with
1: us this week.